Revelation chapter 6 tonight. Revelation chapter 6. As I said to you at the beginning of our worship tonight, and I want to come back to this to lead into where I want to begin, I want to start at the end of verse 1, where one of the living creatures says to John, Come. Literally in the original, come and see. I have something I want to show you. God has something he wants to show us tonight. He wants to reveal things to us. He wants to reassure us of things. Now notice at the end of verse 3, the second living creature says to John, come, come and see. The end of verse 5, the third living creature says to John, come, come and see. I have something I want to show you. I want to reveal something to you so that you will be reassured. And then finally at the end of verse 7, the fourth living creature says, come, John, see these things. I want to show you these things. And so tonight, as we come to God, as we worship him, as we come into his word, both as a community of believers and even as we do this at all times individually, know this, God wants us all to come and see. He wants to reveal things to us, and as believers, he wants to reassure us of things. I couldn't help but think when I was reminded of that phrase about Philip and Nathaniel back in the Gospel of John. Remember Philip? He comes to see Jesus, and he truly then believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he goes to Nathaniel, his friend, and he says, Nathaniel, Come and see, I've discovered the Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's the one that says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response is, come and see, come and see. What a great thing. That's what the four living creatures were saying to John. John, I want you to come and see. This is all about this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are learning more about our Savior, our Lord, than anything else or anyone else. Everything else needs to fade into the background. Everything else is secondary. The primary personage in the book of Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And where I want to begin then tonight is all the way at the end of now chapter 6 in verse 16. And we'll come back to this, but there's a phrase there that I want to start with tonight. Those who are being judged recognize what is happening as, notice, the wrath of the Lamb. Lambs usually aren't associated with wrath, right? But this Lamb is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about that, but first, let's talk about the word wrath. What does it mean that God is revealing to us that he is a wrathful God? It simply describes God as holy, as one who has a settled indignation and opposition to sin. Okay? It does not describe one who has anger issues, <laughs> does not describe one who has emotional outbursts. It is describing one who has a settled, always, indignation and opposition to sin. Why? Because God understands sin destroys. Sin is destructive. Sin was never to be part of God's universe when he created it. 
and at the very even beginning of the tribulation, what is happening? They are experiencing the wrath of the Lamb, you see. Now, let's as believers again pause for a moment. This is not written to unbelievers. <laughs> this is written to us. So why write us about the wrath of the Lamb? It is a reassurance. I mean, Nicole even just mentioned in her prayer about how God's promises can be relied upon and how faithful he is and how everything that he said is, is going to happen just as he said. That's exactly what this is reminding us of. God has always said there's going to be a day of judgment coming. The Old Testament and New Testament are filled with scriptures and warning passages about one day, listen, God has given man his day, thousands of years to do it his way, but there is a day coming where God is going to intervene in human history like no other time, and he is going to judge the world in righteousness. And the reason we should be reassured about that is, I sort of touched on this last week, do we want the world to go on the way it is? Do we want there never to be an end to wickedness and evil and sin? Do we not want to live for all of eternity in a perfect, sinless, righteous environment where there is no sin, there is no death, there, there is no destruction, there is no violence, there's no murder, there's none of that, you see? And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one that can purge the world completely of evil and wickedness and dismantle humans' kingdoms, man's kingdoms that he has built in order then to establish his kingdom once and for all on the earth. And it starts with the wrath of the Lamb. Now, message to you and I. I want you to keep your finger there in Revelation 6. We'll be coming back there, but I want to show you some encouraging verses. Go to Romans 5, 9 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. I don't know whether it's coincidental that, you know, they have the same address, just different books, but... Many people ask me, why, Pastor Jeff, do you believe in a pre tribulational rapture of the church? Well, there's many reasons. One, because the tribulation is the seven-year period where God has said, I'm going to turn my attention back to the nation of Israel, okay? Another reason is that I believe the entire seven years, as we even see at the beginning of this in Revelation chapter 6, is the wrath of God. And the Bible clearly teaches us and reassures us as believers that we will never experience the wrath of God. That those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, he, Jesus, became our wrath, if you will, on the cross. And God's wrath of his holiness was poured out on Jesus so that we never have to experience his wrath. Notice in Romans 5, 9, let's begin at verse 8, actually, to lead into that. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. If Revelation chapter 6 
is describing the wrath of the Lamb upon the world, then my Bible teaches me, once I accepted Christ as my Savior, I am saved from his wrath. I hope that's reassuring to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. We will never have to experience what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of the Lamb, you see. But remember something. Jesus Christ, again, died in our place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, he is our Passover lamb, you see. When you and I accept Jesus Christ, just like the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, save those from God's judgment, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb that spares us from the judgment of God. Colossians 3, 3, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Paul says to the Colossians, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a, what a concept. My life, your life as believers is hidden with Christ. We are secure. We are untouchable because we are in Christ. So that that means that anything that touches our lives passes first through Jesus Christ because we're hidden with him. And if he allows it, then that means it's ultimately for our good and for his glory. That's why the Bible compares Jesus Christ to the ark. When God judged the world, he, he told Noah, if you just enter into my means of salvation, that ark, you and your family and everyone else will be saved. Jesus Christ is not only our Passover lamb, he's our ark. And when you and I enter into him, we are once and for all saved from experiencing the wrath of God the wrath of the Lamb. Listen, remember, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there are many Christians who need to be reminded that our God is not only a God of love, but he's a holy God, and he is a righteous God, and he is a just God. And one day he will bring to bear his justice upon the earth for those who have rejected him and for those who persist in their evil and wickedness. And the only way to do that is to bring this judgment. Now, what we're going to see tonight, though, and again, this also reveals to us just how great our God is, is in the midst of judgment, there's always mercy. And there's going to be a massive, I believe, amount of people saved during the Great Tribulation. 
God is going to build, as we're going to see next week, basically an evangelistic army that's going to go out into the world during those seven years, and many, many people are going to come to know the Lord. You see, even in his judgment, he's still going to be bringing people into the fold, if you will, during that time. That's something else we have to remember about God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And one of the reasons he's going to judge the world is not only for judgment's sake, it's also for salvation's sake. It is going to be through those days that Jesus even said is unlike any days the earth has ever known that people are also going to wake up and finally turn to him. Not only Gentile, but he's going to save many, many Jews during the tribulation period. As a nation, the Bible promises us that they will turn back to God one day. Wow. So again, what a great God we have here. The only one that can make things right forever and ever. The only one who can purge evil and wickedness completely from the earth. The only one that can dismantle man's kingdoms and set up his own kingdom. The only one, you see. During the tribulation, the Antichrist will arise, and many in the world will think he's the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world, he's the answer, he's got all the answers. And worldwide, there will be many who follow him and get the mark. But you and I all know it's going to be very short-lived. Because like all of counterfeit Christ throughout history, he has no answer. He is not the answer. The only answer is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The only answer is our great God who has promised us and shown us that this is the way the world is going to end. Are we ready for it? With that said, Revelation chapter 6 sets up very nicely into three scenes, and I want to look at each of these scenes individually tonight. Let's go back then to the first part of chapter 6. John says, I looked, and when I looked, the lamb began to open the seals. Let's not forget that. Who is directing it? Who's in charge? Who's opening the seals? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Lamb of God who's doing this, okay? It's coming from him, which is why even those at the end of the chapter recognize this is the wrath of the Lamb. You see, they, they even know where this judgment is coming from. So make no mistake about it, even at the beginning of the tribulation period, this is the wrath of the Lamb. He's the one opening these seals. I heard the four living creatures with thunderous voices say again, come and see. I want to show you something that's ultimately going to show you what our Lord Jesus Christ is like. So I looked. Here came a white horse. The one who rode it had a bow. He was given a crown, and as a conqueror, he rode out to conquer, mocking and counterfeiting the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to come as the King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19. But what we need to see here is Jesus Christ is in complete control of this. And, and what he is doing as he opens these seals is, is basically letting 
humanity turn on itself, if you will. It, it, is, it is bringing it to its sort of logical conclusion as it continues to decay and deteriorate down through history. You see, the first horse, if you will, of the apocalypse, as it's referred to, is reminding us that humanity is always about control and conquest. Think of those two words when you think about verse 2. It's about control. It's about conquest. And what do we see in the world today? Just like we have throughout history, people who want to control others and want to conquer others. It's always been that way, okay? Control and conquer. Control and conquer. And it's going to get to a point where by the time the church is gone, which, by the way, another reason I believe that the church does not go through their tribulation is because after chapter 3, the church is not mentioned again in the book of Revelation. You don't see the word church mentioned anymore after chapter 3. Then the lamp, verse 3, opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, come, and another horse, fiery red, came out. The one who rode it was granted permission. Permission from who? Permission from the lamb. Remember, it's the lamb who's opening the seals. It's the lamb who's in control. And this horse was granted permission to take peace from the earth like never before so that people would butcher one another, and he was given a huge sword. What's being described is really war unlike any wars we've ever and remember jesus even said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars but the end's not quite yet we think there's been wars in our lifetime and wars before our lifetime we aren't even gonna know what it's gonna be like on the earth we we even look at like even the unrest and 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 all of that and and the things that's happening today in our lifetime i'm telling you what this is describing is way beyond that, way beyond that. Human depravity is going to turn on itself and self-destruct as people just kill each other like never before. Now, we all know as we keep going through history that the world keeps getting more violent and there's more murders and, and people are just taking lives left and right. It just happens all over the place. This is going to just be amplified during this time. Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, look at this. So I looked, and here came a black horse. This horse is simply the effects of all this worldwide war. The one who rode it had a balance scale in his hand, and I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat will cost a day's pay, and three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay. Do not damage the olive oil and the wine. Famine, Famine will come, exorbitant prices, inflation, food rationing like never before. There will be all kinds of crops destroyed. People will be hungry like never before. Verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, look at this. And I looked, and here came a pale green horse, the color of a corpse. And the name of the one who wrote it was death and Hades, or the afterlife, the grave that followed right behind. And they were given authority, notice, over a fourth of the earth, a fourth of the earth's population will be killed with the sword, with famine, and yes, with disease, pestilence, and plague, even by the wild animals of the earth. Scene one. 
scene one. It's going to be a terrible time upon the earth. And that's why I'm so glad that you and I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are in the ark of Christ. He's our Passover lamb. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We can all be reassured and thankful for that as we see what one day is going to happen on the earth. Hopefully, another thing that will stir within us is to be in prayer more for those that have yet come to Christ and to be taking our opportunities to witness to those that do not know Christ, to be more evangelistic, to be more bold at sharing our faith, no matter what the cost, because let's now shift to scene two. The, sh the scene now shifts from earth to heaven. And by the way, remember that worship is still going on just as it was in chapter 4 and 5. It's never ceased. No matter what's going on on earth, the worship of God continues in heaven and will forever and ever, you see. But I want us to see this, and so did God want John to see this so that he could record it, so that you and I could see a little bit more of Jesus and also be reassured of some things. The lamb, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had given. Let's stop there. John is picturing an altar like there was in the Old Testament. And why does he say that he saw the souls under the altar? Because in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was placed on the altar and the blood would literally drip down below the altar. You see, it's a picture of basically these souls who have been sacrificed for their faith in Jesus Christ. These are not sacrifices of atonement. That's Jesus Christ alone. But these are sacrifices of devotion to the Lord. These are people who even during the tribulation come to know the Lord and come to love him so deeply that they are willing to give up their life to be faithful to him. They are a challenge to us even today. These martyrs were sacrificed for God. Notice they were slaughtered, violently killed. It's what the word literally means, slaughtered. And notice why they were slaughtered. Because they would not stop sharing the word of God and because they would not stop giving their testimony of what Jesus had done for them and the change that came into their life when they accepted him. And remember, this is during the darkest days of human history. And yet it reminds us again how great our God is, that even in the darkest days of human history, God is saving people left and right. And when they get saved, man, they're saved because they are willing to give everything for the Lord. They're willing to keep on sharing no matter what it costs, no matter what the sacrifice so here's the challenge to you and I living on this side of the tribulation. 
Our response to opposition should not be passive flight, but active faithful witness. Let me repeat that. The church's response to opposition should never be passive flight, but active faithful witness. I hear many Christians today who just, you know, God, I, I want things to be more comfortable for us as Christians. I, 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 want, I want all the opposition and everything to be taken away. And God says, no, I want you to be strong in me. I, I want you to be willing to share me no matter what it costs. Remember, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus basically saying, I am so great that I will set up my church outside the front door of hell and the devil and all the demons of hell and all the forces of evil can't do a thing about it. That's our God, you see. And yet many Christians today are running they want to isolate themselves. They want to run to some place where they can just be off to themselves. No. God calls us to be a witness. God calls us to be a light. How are people going to know our Jesus if they can't see us, if they don't ever hear the gospel from any of our lips? How are we ever going to reach other people? Our response, even though it's hard, even though we're going to be opposed, even though we're going to be ridiculed and persecuted, is not to run away. It's to be faithful to the Lord like they are in the tribulation period. Faithful even to death. And notice in verse 10, they cried out to the Lord, how long? It's something that you see throughout Scripture. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, Lord, how long till you vindicate us? How long till you bring justice? Which is why, can I tell you, Paul in the book of Romans says to us as Christians, give place to God's wrath. God says, vengeance is mine, so don't, don't take vengeance yourself. Repay evil with good, Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let God take care of it. Let God take care of them. Because if we truly believe in the God who keeps his promises, his vindication and his vengeance will one day come. Leave it in his hands. And I love this. Those who've been martyred say, how long, sovereign master? Let's stop there. It's a phrase that's not used very often in the Bible to describe our God. It means he is the absolute ruler of the universe. And, and here's the other thing it really means. He, our God, has no limitations, no hindrances, no, no, no restraints, there, there is there's nothing that can hold God down or back. He is the unstoppable God, and there are no limitations to this God of ours. So that should also reassure us, even again, on this side of the tribulation, whatever you and I go through, whatever we are going through, whatever challenges we face, whatever is in our way, whatever giants may be in our path, he is the sovereign master, the absolute ruler of the universe, 
There's no one higher or greater. There, there's no one even close to him, and he has no limitations. So don't limit yourself <laughs> because you're one of his. Don't limit what your God can do in that situation with that person in this world, in your church, in your community. Don't limit God. He is the absolute ruler. He's the sovereign master. He has no limitations. He is holy and true. How long then before you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? And his response, our Lord... <laughs> Our Lord's response to those that died for him are words that you and I need to listen to because they are words that we need to hear today too. Each of them was given a long white robe indicating high status and victory. And here's what Jesus told them. They were told to rest for a little longer. You know what? You getting tired of the way things are? You want God to come and make everything right? Here's God's message to us. Rest a little while longer. Not to be inactive. This word rest means to rest in him. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's Jesus' rest. And even on that side of eternity, Jesus saying, just rest in me. Just, just find your rest in me. Let the timing of all this up to me because it's going to be in my perfect timing. You just rest in me. Find your rest in me. Oh, what great words we need to hear today. And then notice, until the full number was reached of both their fellow servants, don't miss that, and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. Jesus is saying to them, I need you to hold out for a little bit longer for two reasons. One, there are more to be saved. You notice that? Your fellow servants, there, there are more that need to be saved. Remember when we were studying 2 Peter in chapter 3? Where's the promise of his coming? And then Peter says, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why God hasn't come back yet. There's still more to be saved. In the tribulation, there's still more to be saved before he comes in the rapture for his people. But also notice, God has also established in his sovereignty a specific number of martyrs to be killed. Because notice he says, and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. The full number. Don't miss that in verse 11. See, God even has it down to the detail of, I know exactly how many martyrs are going to be martyred in the tribulation. That's our God. Like Nicole was praying, knows the hairs on our head. He knows the number of martyrs that's going to be martyred before he says, that's it. That's the last martyr. Boom. That's our God. If God has that kind of detail, then we can rest in him, my friends. We can trust him. And that's what Jesus is even asking of them, even on this side of eternity. 
He's saying, I'm coming. Be patient. Then we go to the last scene. Verse 12. Then I looked when the lamb opened the sixth seal, and a huge earthquake took place, a shaking, a seismic cataclysm unlike anything the earth has ever seen. Why? Because there's never been an earthquake that affected the sun and the moon. There's going to be such a shaking that it even affects the cosmos, if you will. The sun's going to become black as sackcloth. The full moon's going to become blood red. The stars, literally in the Greek, asteroids are going to fall from the sky like fig trees dropping its unripe figs when shaken by a fierce wind. The sky's going to split apart like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island's going to be moved from its place. Unbelievable. The, the writer of Hebrews talks about there's a shaking coming. Because God wants to remove the things that can be shaken from the things that can't be shaken. And then the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's serve God. Let's get out there and live for him. Because through God, we have things that are unshakable. What the world's living for can be taken away at any time. What you and I truly live for can never be taken away from us. And God wants to instill in his people especially that what we should be living for is what can never be taken. And we get to touch those things each and every day. Notice also that when the wrath of the Lamb comes... All distinctions that man makes on the earth now mean nothing. It's a reminder that man can make up all kinds of distinctions of classes and races and this and that and try to divide things. But when it comes right down to it, the only thing that matters is, are you in Christ or outside Christ? Because we saw last week that there's going to be people from every language group every nation, every tribe. There's going to be people that are from everywhere around the earth because it doesn't matter to God like it matters to man. All that matters to God is, have you accepted my son? Are you in Christ? That's all that matters. So notice the kings of the earth, the very important people, the generals, the rich, the powerful, the movers and shakers, but even every slave, every free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The earth dwellers, instead of turning to the Lord, they want to hide from him. And, and they want to just escape through death. And isn't it interesting, and, and this is why I, I wanted to end, obviously because it is at the end of the chapter, but I, I wanted to end with this. Isn't it interesting that the response of those who refuse to repent and turn to Christ is just the opposite from you and I, and even what we experienced here in this room, and maybe what you experienced at home when we were worshiping the Lord? Why do I say that? Notice what they did in verse 15. 
they hid themselves? Doesn't that remind you of what Adam and Eve did back in the garden? After they had sinned, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Hiding from God. What do you and I want to do? We want to seek his face. <laughs> we, we want to come into his face. We want his face. We want to see his face. We want to enter his presence. We want to run towards him. They want to run away from him. And when you run away from Jesus, you run away from the only answer you'll ever have. When you run away from Jesus, you run away from the greatest love you'll ever know. When you run away from Jesus, you, you run away from the only solution to your aching soul, to your lack of fulfillment and satisfaction. That's why Jesus always has the invitation, come. All are welcomed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish and go through all this but have everlasting life. So I direct your attention to the last few words of chapter 6 where John says, then who is able to withstand it? or who is able to stand. And there's two sides of the same coin, and I want us to see both of those in closing tonight. For those on the earth who refuse to turn to Jesus Christ, they can't. They, they can't stop what's happening. They can't withstand it or stand against it because the only way to withstand the wrath of God is to be standing in Jesus Christ. Then we're safe and secure, like no one else or nothing else could make us that way. See, when you and I are in Christ, remember Colossians 3.3, you and I have died to ourself, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. There is no more stable, secure, or safe place that you and I can find ourselves than being in Christ. Which is why I'll close with this verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. God, we thank you tonight that even in the midst of judgment, God, we see mercy. We see you reaching so many people. So many people, God, who are willing to give up their very life for you because you're worthy, God. You're deserving of our all. Even if they take our life from us, God, may we always be faithful to your word and to our testimony, God, just like they were. May we not run away from the challenges of living in this world. May we not get frightened and intimidated. May we be a light regardless, Lord, of how the world treats us because they treated you the same way. 
And you told us as your followers, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they hated me, they'll hate you because they hated me before they hated you. But that doesn't mean that that gives us the right to run away from our responsibility as Christ followers to, to stand for him no matter what. And God, may we see that as you reveal your glory to us, your majesty to us, your splendor to us, who you are to us, holy and true, that there is nothing or no one that will stop us from being faithful to you and devoted to you for the rest of our lives. May we on this side of the tribulation be as faithful as they're going to be even in the tribulation, God. Because God, they saw you. May we see you too. May we continue to allow you to say to us, come and see. Come and see all that I am, not just parts of who I am. Come and let me reveal who I am and reassure you that I will come one day and I will bring vindication. I will bring justice, but I will also bring salvation and mercy and love to this world. And I will bring into this world a kingdom that will have no end, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of love, a kingdom where there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more violence, no more sin. And Jesus, you're the only one that can do it. We worship you, God, tonight. And may we go home resting in you, in your Jesus rest that you alone can provide us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.